Marini's Media. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, with me, Ali Maxwell, and on the line, George Ellick. Now, George, we make a joke about having a busy pod every single week. And I thought, I thought this week, with the championship having paused for an international break, that this might be the week where we could say, do you know what, listener? Just a normal pod, not busy, not light on content, just a sort of six out of ten busy pod. Nope. It's busy again because in the championship, it never rests. We've got a big story there and plenty more to come. Please talk me through it. I don't think we ever want any of our pods to be just six out of ten, Ali. <laughs> but yeah, there's certainly um, stuff going on both on and off the pitch despite the international break. We're going to speak to Nancy Frostick, the Athletic Sheffield Wednesday writer, about Gary Monk and his departure with his coaching staff from the club and the prospect of Tony Pulis or maybe even Sven Goran Eriksson taking over there. We then speak to Lincoln City chairman Clive Nates. Now, we covered the story around Project Big Picture and the need for the revenue gap with EFL clubs to be filled. And that's gone a little bit quiet until maybe this week there is some talk of maybe things in the offing. So we speak to Clive about what it's been like running a League One club over the last few months. And then finally, despite there being no championship football, me and Ali will both go through our favourite games of the weekend upcoming with our sponsors Paddy Power First up let's hear what has happened this week at Sheffield Wednesday you're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power The heating's on it's getting darker earlier and earlier so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Yes, big managerial news in the championship this week. On Tuesday, the story broke. The Athletics' Nancy Frostick broke it, and it was Gary Monk being relieved of his duties by Sheffield Wednesday. The article on site that explains it all is called Gary Monk Sacked, What Went Wrong and What Happens Next. That would be a good primer for you to read on the Athletics site. But we are delighted to be joined by the Athletics Sheffield Wednesday writer, Nancy Frostick. Nancy, firstly, congratulations on, on the exclusive, um, especially as this seemed to come as a bit of a surprise, certainly to the players who you wrote in the piece were in shock at the timing, at the announcement. How did it all play out on Tuesday, Nancy, in terms of the, the club's decision? But also I'd like to know about the, the breaking of the story as well, that the Athletic being first and, and getting this out there before anyone else. How did Tuesday play out? You're quite right to say it was maybe a bit unexpected. The pressure was certainly on the end of October where Wednesday lost four on the bounce, including games against uh, Luton, Rotherham and Wickham all back to back, which no disrespect to those teams, but Wednesday fans were probably expecting a result there. And given how crucial you know it is for them this season to pick up the points against teams that may be around them at the end of the season. They won against Bournemouth, which is you know a really good result, and then a draw against Millwall. So you kind of felt like uh, he might get a bit more time, Gary Monk, you know, through the the international break. But um, but yeah, heard quite late. Um, I can't remember if it was Monday night or Tuesday night. Now I'm I'm completely lost with 
everything that's happened but um yeah heard fairly late and um we just had to sort of try and get it confirmed and I mean it's, it's a bit of a surprise again also factored into that was um, we spoke to the chairman last week and he'd uh, in quite an extended press conference he'd backed the manager and basically said you know it's quite easy to just pull the trigger on a manager but there's responsibility with that decision and he sort of apportioned a bit of the blame if if blame's the right word to the players so um it's strange that kind of four or five days after that um he decided to sack him but it's something that has happened before actually a few years ago with Jos Lukai he did a the chairman backed him and then sacked him about four or five days later so it was quick and um quite a speedy exit by the sounds of it I think James Beattie dropped a by the sounds of it dropped a message in the the team WhatsApp and then they are all just kind of left and now obviously Gary's put a statement out on on his social media so I think it's obviously a disappointment that they've not been able to finish the project. I feel like whenever there's a managerial casualty I'm always waiting to to read the line about the WhatsApp group these days which I absolutely <laughs> love. With the uh, you know the relationship between Monk and Chancery I mean in your piece that that came out just after Monk was sacked explained Gary Monk sacked what went wrong and what happens next which is up on the athletic you talk about something of a breakdown of the relationship over the summer with with key players leaving with, with certain players who monk thought were going to sign a new contract then not sign a new contract so so was part of this damage almost done before the season even started yeah i think this has been almost like a long-term problem obviously wednesday have, have really struggled in 2020 i understand like the, the communication between the chairman and the manager has been frequent according to you know both sides so um there were certain players obviously Wednesday lost quite a few big names in the summer just at the end of their contracts and from what I understand you know the manager wants to keep a few of them but obviously he kind of makes the decision on footballing grounds and then it's up to the chairman whether Wednesday can find space to afford the, the players wages and given Wednesday's kind of struggles with FFP and stuff it's uh it's not unreasonable that obviously they probably couldn't keep all those players because there were quite a few big earners there. But I imagine that kind of makes the, the manager's job a little more difficult when maybe that you know they lost some some people like Stephen Fletcher and uh, Morgan Fox were pretty big to to their campaigns. The manager did talk about wanting to kind of build his own squad and kind of instill his values from from scratch, which he didn't quite have time to do really. Nancy, when you cover a club for the athletic, you're always very engaged with the fans, a lot of sort of live Q&As on the site and, and lively comment sections as well. Um, it, it felt that even if the players were shocked, the fans were neither hugely shocked nor, if I might take the temperature of what I've seen from social media, hugely disappointed by the decision. Um, what do you think the issue was for the fans with Monk? And obviously you can't speak for all of them and I'm sure there'll be some who thought he was the right man, but the general fan feeling I thought was relatively negative towards him. Do, do you have any idea of when the tipping point was and why that was? It's definitely been a growing swell of fans kind of calling for Monk out, which I think since Arsene Wenger has just been the phrase, you know, like hashtag um, manager name out. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's definitely been um, growing. I don't know. I think the Rotherham game 
really was um, crucial, you know, to lose 3-0 to kind of local rivals. And I think it was the first time in a long time that Rotherham had beaten Wednesday at home mm. and kind of a real blow that game. And it was just riddled with, with mistakes. And I think the problem has been not just the fact that Wednesday have been losing, but probably the performance level has been well below what fans might have expected. And even if you're not in the ground, you're still paying a tenner to watch it on iFollow and you, you know you want something to get excited about and Wednesday have struggled with scoring goals and creating really clear-cut chances so I think at times it has been quite a frustrating watch for fans and I think Monk tried everything he possibly could but there are you know that's a big job for whoever comes in is finding how on earth to get Wednesday scoring goals from open play because I think they've got three all season so far from open play so it's been slim pickings really. So looking then ahead now at who's going to be taking over and I was looking forward to just asking you having a calm conversation about Tony Pulis taking over at Sheffield Wednesday and asking you how far along that is but Nancy your piece last night threw a bit of a spanner in the works Uh, Sven (laughs) Goran Eriksson uh, interested in Wednesday job as Tony Pulis talks continue. Um, obviously, Sven, the headline here. Do we know, you know, is he a credible candidate or does it still feel like Pulis will be the man taking over? Uh, I still think Pulis is probably very much the front runner. Um, I mean, obviously, I-, I think Wednesday will play it safe, if you want to call it that, by getting someone who's got a lot of um, championship experience, like recent championship experience anyway, um, just given you know, where they are in the table, this might be more of a, a short-term appointment to the end of the season, you know, doing a keep them up and then maybe look at something a bit more long-term. From what I understand, Tony Pulis is kind of in advanced talks, so seems to be the front-runner. And then, um, yeah, as for Sven, I mean, um, it sort of came to my attention that he submitted an application for the job or, you know, however that works, expressed an interest in the job. And uh, he is looking for, it sounds like, looking for another chance, you know, one more job in in English football. So, I mean, it'd be a great and kind of curveball um, appointment for Wednesday. And um, I think he's got a pretty impressive win percentage in his time in English football. So that obviously wouldn't do any any harm to Wednesday's case this season. But yeah, it's um, I don't know yet how that one's progressed or if it has, but I'll check in and get more answers today because uh, yeah could be an interesting one that's the sound of the police that's the sound of the beast that's the sound of the police that's the sound of the It does sound like it's the sound of the police um, and that will <laughs> excite a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans who are looking for championship experience to do what you've described there as, as the short term job, the, the, the number one objective to move above the relegation zone. Um, do you feel like the do you feel like the fans would be happy to you know, support a, a Tony Pulis side? You, you've spoken there about how style of play might be might be more important in the age of having to pay a tenner to watch it on iFollow. Do you, do you think there's a an acceptance that the short-term results might have to come uh, at the at the risk of of lacking some some attractive football? Yeah, it's interesting actually, isn't it? Because we are still only in November, and now that Wednesday have had their points deduction halved, you know that they're obviously off the bottom of the table. Obviously, the pressure's still there to get results, but you know from what I've seen and heard from fans that they're not necessarily thrilled with the prospect of kind of a pragmatic appointment, you know, with the need to get to get points first over winning 
winning well or winning with an exciting style. But say if Peters does come in and gets four wins on the bounce or something, I'm sure that any scepticism or any concern will probably quickly sort of disappear. And th- there's nothing like winning to kind of get the, the Wednesday fans going. I mean, once Hillsborough does get fans back in it and, you know, once they do get winning, it, it does really have a good feel about the place. So um, I think it's just about getting some of that back whether the fans are there or not you kind of still feel it goals would be nice <laughs> lots of goals <laughs> I think everyone wants the uh, the manager with experience at the level with a very good record at the level and who plays very good attacking football but there aren't many of them out there and sadly Slavisa Jukanovic <laughs> seems to be happy in Qatar so uh, they'll have to wait maybe for the next time for that um, Nancy thank you so much for, for joining us you probably thought this would be a, a quieter week than usual with the international break far from it uh, thanks for giving up your time and, and thanks for chatting with us as always. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So here on the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, whilst we cover what's going on on the pitch, it's also important, especially now, to make sure we are giving coverage to the issues off it. And we covered... The project Big Picture Story, as it came out with Matt Slater, we've tried to speak to people involved at clubs around the clear need for extra funding for EFL clubs. And it's great to be joined on the line today with Lincoln City Chairman Clive Nates, who joins us from his native South Africa. Clive, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. Oh, pleasure. Great to be speaking to you guys. Now, let's start, before we get into the um, off-field issues, let's start with the good stuff, because... It's been an excellent start to the season for Lincoln under Michael Appleton, a man and a manager who, as an Oxford fan, I um, know a lot about, and it's no surprise to see me to see you doing so well under him. Have the expectations around the club been raised somewhat this season? Now you can see what this side can do. Yeah, I, I think they definitely have. Although you've got to say, it's still very early on uh, in the season, so you know you can't read too much into it, but. Uh, you know, we've been very happy with, uh, you know, the way Michael has built a team. You know, we've given him a much reduced uh, budget, 40% down on last season. And together with the recruitment team, uh, he's brought together a fantastic squad of players. I'm sure you've been as, as taken as we have with, with some of those summer signings you mentioned there. We actually spoke to Michael about Lewis Monsimer before the start of the season. Uh, and he sort of gave us a heads up on, on how creative they'd been uh, with that signing. And uh, it's, he's really hit the ground running, hasn't he? And, and the same can be said with, with Brennan Johnson on loan from Nottingham Forest, who has looked absolutely spectacular uh, as well. So uh, a really great start to the season on the pitch. It must have been fantastic to follow that um, from uh, from South Africa. But it's been a tough period as well um, in, in so many ways and specifically when it comes to, to football finance in the EFL. And that's really what we'd like to talk to you about today. Um, we have heard a fair bit in the media uh, about the, the pressing need for extra funding for League One and League Two clubs, although it, sometimes it feels like recently that message has been replaced by 
squabbling more than anything else. But we we we've we've understood the need for the revenue for shortfall from not having fans at games to be covered for for some time now. And um, this week's headline has been ten EFL clubs struggling to pay wage bills across the board. I know that at Lincoln City, you and, and your colleagues are very open and honest with your fans about the situation, which is so important. I wonder if you could explain to our listeners just how tough things are um, for those that are running clubs in League One and League Two at the moment. Well, obviously, there was an impact already last season and together with uh, you know, the inability to get fans into our stadium, we estimate uh, a loss of turnover in the region of 2.8 million this season uh, and last season. We've obviously had a cutback uh, significantly. We've probably saved around about 1.3 million. So the net loss from COVID at the moment is estimated at around 1.5 million to, to the club. And at this stage, that's that falls upon yourself and and those involved in the ownership group to, to cover that shortfall. and. Presumably, if you can't or, or won't at some stage, then that would be a, a pretty existential issue for the club. It's needed further significant funds to, to be pledged by uh, the directors and uh, investors. In addition, the fans have been absolutely brilliant. Around 80% of them uh, agreed to convert the amounts that we owed them in respect of games that weren't played last season into shares in the club. So that has obviously been uh, very helpful. There's no doubt there, there is a shortfall. We're okay until around about February or March. But, uh, you know, if we don't get a rescue package before that, then we will have to look at other measures to, you know, stem that, uh, that, that lack of cash. You know, we expected a rescue package you know, a few months back, we were certainly told in EFL meetings as far back as uh, July that a rescue package was imminent, that it involved big numbers, that we would be very happy with what we would get. Uh, there seemed to be even beyond the Premier League, there were lots of other options. And here we are, you know, in November, as you said, probably 10 clubs unable to play to pay their salary bills and we still have no clarity on the issue but just from a lincoln city point of view unless the majority of efl clubs hit the wall we will find a way uh, to survive there's no doubt about that that's great to hear and you know i think ali and i can speak for everybody in, in saying that we hope that can be reflected in as many clubs as possible. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were told as clubs back in July that a, a rescue package would be forthcoming. Um, you know, we've heard the DCMS saying they don't believe it's the government's responsibility, but the Premier Leagues. We then, of course, had the circus around Project Big Picture as well. Um, I followed you on Twitter for a long time and you've been a, a, a very vocal, um, you know, you've opposed to make clear the issues around Project Big Picture as it was first um, floated and even as it's developed now. So for the listeners, you know, and, and even, you know, I'll be honest, myself, somebody who I am so desperate for these clubs to survive, I was keen to look for the positives from that proposal. What were your main issues and remain your main issues with it? Okay, it obviously didn't come out in the best of ways. Um, 
you know, I think the initial focus was entirely on the power grab. Uh, that would have given effectively the big six clubs, you know, enormous uh, power in deciding the future of English football. I think as we've gone deeper into Project Big Picture, we've found a lot of issues we find very disturbing that, uh, you know, would have serious issues for our club. And we believe the majority of clubs in the EFL, we are in contact with a number of clubs where we have personal relationships and, you know, discussing the problems that we have with Project Big Picture, trying to understand whether our conclusions are right, what these other clubs think as well. And I think even though Project Big Picture seems to be, I don't know if you can say dead at the moment, because obviously now with the Premier League deciding that they're going ahead with a strategic review, Project Big Picture has been pushed to the side. But I think it's still very important to have an understanding of what was in Project Big Picture, because you've got to think Project Big Picture reflects the position of at least Liverpool and Man United, if not the rest of the big six. It certainly reflects the views of Rick Parry, and you would have to say even the EFL board. And if that's the picture that they are going to put to the consultants that are looking at the Premier League strategic review, then, you know, I do have a lot of concerns over that, or we as a club have a lot of concerns over that. One of the the issues that has arisen from that uh, project, big picture, I suppose it was not a leak, but when the, the story broke, as you said, in, in conditions that probably weren't ideal for anyone. From the outside, from my perspective, it, it feels like since that was sort of thrown to the wayside that there's been a lot of squabbling about who's acting in good and bad faith and, and, and little progress on the... The, the real issue at hand, namely the financial situation in, in Leagues 1 and 2 and, and lower in the pyramid, of, of course. Clive, what I was hoping to, to find out from you today is, is from, from the perspective of someone who's very involved in discussions and who is not shying away from, from the issues and is, is putting yourself at the heart of, of many discussions for the good of, of your club and, and clubs like Lincoln City, um, what can we expect over the next week or two, I, I know you've got a, a meeting today. What will be discussed? What What do you think? I guess I was going to ask, what do you hope will happen? But we're getting to the point where hope is 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 almost less important than just getting something done. I guess what's realistic, I suppose, is what I'd love to know over the next week or two. Are we moving towards any kind of solution? Uh, I wish I knew. You know, like I said. We were told confidently in July that we would have a rescue package that was imminent. So, you know, at this point, it's hard to know what to believe. We know, or we know from the EFL that there was a 50 million package on the table. 20 million was in the way of a grant. Where the EFL had a problem is that they said that the Premier League wanted control over who that 20 million was distributed to. And then there was a further 30 million of loans where we were told by the EFL that there were certain conditions placed on getting that 30 million. And then you listen to Richard Masters and he is saying that, 
no formal offer from the EFL has come with any conditions. So, you know, things don't add up. I just don't really know. Um, we'll have a meeting today. Um, a rescue package is not on the agenda, but it will be no doubt covered uh, by Rick Parry in uh, his introductory comments. Uh, it's probably a little bit too soon to expect any resolution, uh, you know, since we heard from Rick and, and Richard in, in front of the committee. But, you know, it's something that we desperately need to have some clarity within the next month or two, because like I said, even though I'm confident Lincoln City will survive under most conditions, if we don't get a rescue package, we start having to take measures that we don't want to take. We've already cut costs massively. As I said, our you know, pro budget is down 40%. If we start having to take more cuts, that's going to affect the long-term future of the club. So, you know, it's time that the EFL and the Premier League came together and stopped the squabbling and decided on a package that is fair to us. Well, I think we can all get behind that message and fingers crossed next time we speak live, it'll be about the football and fans will be back in stadiums and something, a conclusion to this will be reached. But thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today and best of luck to Lincoln City for the rest of the season. Okay, brilliant. Thanks very much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So I'm sitting in the dressing room, got a towel over my head, and I can just hear goal after goal after goal going in. And um, I mean, that's, that's down to me, that. Isn't it? Yeah, that was, a, that was a low point, definitely, and big regret. Peter Crouch is pretty good at podcasts, apparently. So he joined Ruby Walsh and Paddy Power himself on the latest from the Horse's Mouth Show to talk about Liverpool's spurs and feeling like a head on a stick. Search Paddy Power on your podcast provider and listen now. Paddy Power. 18 plus, On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Right then, it's time now to look ahead at the weekend action. Basically, half of a slate of League One and almost a full slate of League Two action with the Championship pausing for an international break. Uh, as always, we're going to preview our favourite games ahead of the weekend with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. George, in League One, what's the fixture that tickles your fancy the most ahead of this weekend? Yeah, it's a bit of a depleted fixture list in League One and in League Two this weekend because of international call-ups and then our customary COVID postponements. So I'm kind of looking at a game between two maybe of the less glamorous sides in League One, uh, Northampton against Accrington. Um, Paddy Power had this as being a pick'em game. They cannot choose between them. Northampton are 13 to eight. Accrington also 13 to eight. The draw 21 to 10. Now, I watched Northampton in midweek in their FA Cup game against Oxford City. They were beaten 2-1 after taking the lead early on. And if you were someone coming down from Mars who somehow understood both football and the English football pyramid, 
and you were asked which team of those was was a National League um, regional side and which was a League One side, there would have been no doubt in my mind that they'd have said that Northampton were the lower division side. Oxford City were the better team. They created better chances. They were always the threat. Of course, it was played on one of these plastic pitches, which normally gives the home side a pretty big advantage. But it was it was alarming. It, it wasn't necessarily Northampton's best team but we've seen this fairly regularly recently from them looking at their home form of their last five games at home they've lost four of them and didn't score in any of those four games the the exception being a 2-1 win against Swindon which you know, looks like a bit of an outlier in terms of their home form and also Swindon not a side playing particularly well at the moment either so with Cobblers I'm just circling them as a team to be a little bit wary of. They're currently on 11 points from um, 11 games in 17th position. But they feel to me, you know, that they're a side that came up through the playoffs after being not particularly good in League Two, a proper kind of playoff mid-table, but, you know, upper half mid-table side. Um, And they look to me like there could be a side just to keep an eye on because there could be issues. They're playing against an Accrington team, and this is kind of the main reason why I'm interested here is because... We never see Accrington play league football. Um, they've only played seven <laughs> games so far in League One. Most teams have played 11 due to you know the, the reasons I've mentioned earlier, why their games have been called off. They haven't actually played in League One since the 20th of October. So we're getting on to nearly a month since they last played a league game. That was a 1-0 home win against Fleetwood, which reads very well, given that Fleetwood are now in 10th position and, and playing well since that game. Their record so far is pretty interesting. They've played seven, won four, lost three, showing you kind of a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance level there from them. But I'm just interested to see what they're going to be like, what they're going to do. If there's any team in League One, I feel like I don't have a particularly good steer on. Accrington are that. And given that we know that every year John Coleman's team come into a League One campaign knowing that they have... You know, other teams have a head start on them in terms of of wages and and the, the revenue they're able to use. Uh, and they're coming up against a side who I expect to be in and around the relegation places. So this may not be the glitz and glamour of a League One promotion tie, but for me, as somebody looking to to understand more about two teams, and in terms of you know, as as Paddy's power, as Paddy Power's odds show, two sides who are seen to be pretty closely matched, I think this is definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm towards the bottom of League One as well for my game preview. Shrewsbury Town against Swindon Town. And first of all, Paddy Power think that Shrewsbury, the likely winners here, even money uh, to win this game. Swindon, the away side, 23 to 10. And the draw also 23 to 10. One of the reasons I've picked this is, of course, this is Swindon Town uh, making their move and trying to cope with life after Richie Wellens. It felt like their success was pretty intrinsically linked to Richie Wellens, given how swiftly he changed their fortunes from middling League Two side to very, very good League Two side on their way to the title last season. Uh, So I guess in that sense, when a club's success feels very tied to the manager, more so than anything particularly they're doing in in sort of wider football operations, you know, long-term planning or good recruitment or player development, then you think to yourself, well, this next appointment is pretty important if they are to maintain their status as a League One club uh, this season and then build on from there. It appears, now it hasn't been confirmed, but almost entirely 
done and dusted, that John Sheridan will move from Wigan, where he's been on a month-to-month contract uh, with the situation still up in the air, of course, at Wigan. He's been sort of firefighting there, I guess. He will now take over Swindon Town, and this will be his first game uh, against Shrewsbury. Now, it's been a busy few years for John Sheridan. Since May 2015, that's five and a half years, give or take, he's managed Plymouth Argyle, Newport County, Oldham, Notts County, Oldham, Fleetwood, Carlisle, Chesterfield, Waterford, a club in Ireland owned by Lee Power, who is the owner of Swindon Town, at Wigan Athletic and now Swindon. So this is his 11th side in five and a half years. And the results have been mixed. There was certainly a time during that spell where John Sheridan gained something of a reputation for, for firefighting, for coming in and, and doing enough to save teams who were previously threatened by relegation, that doesn't necessarily reflect his last few jobs. So it'd be interesting if he could get to see rather if he could get back to that sort of uh, performance and and Swindon need it. It's been feast or famine for them this season. They're just above the relegation zone with nine points, three wins and nine uh, and six defeats rather. No clean sheets kept at all. So clear where Sheridan needs to start with the defence that they're also not creating a huge amount. They're certainly not the the slick attacking team that won League Two last season. So it's a big, big job for Sheridan. Four relegation places, of course, in League One. So it's going to be a a tough job and and interesting to see how he goes this weekend. It's a pretty nice start for him, I must say. Uh, They're playing against a Shrewsbury Town side in the relegation zone with seven points from 10 games. And that poor start to the season really is just carrying on a trend that started around Christmas last year. Shrewsbury had such a good cup run, didn't they? They they did so well against Liverpool, especially, and caught the eye there. And I think for, for many onlookers, it might have seemed like they were having quite a good season. But quietly under the surface, that wasn't the case. And in league terms, they were really falling away. In fact, if you include this season, since Christmas Day of 2019... They've only picked up 17 points from 24 league games, which is, I mean, it's worse than relegation form. It, it's it's pretty horrendous as a points return. So something needs to change at, at Shrewsbury pretty quickly in terms of performances and results. Otherwise, they will also be back in League Two after a, a good few years establishing themselves or so, I thought, at this level. Uh, it's been a tough watch for their fans. They've only scored more than one goal in a game. Uh, just seven times in 34 games last season and in none of their 10 games so far this season. So in total, uh, since the start of last season, they've only scored more than a single goal in a game in 16% of their games. Now, that's only vaguely palatable and can only lead to a half-decent points tally if you have an elite defence. And last season, it seemed like they did to start with before they fell away, that their defence was better than average. That's what's that's really what kept them up, but it's not anymore. Their defensive record is, is, is no great shake. So um, that's a lot of doom and gloom, really, for, for Shrews. So apologies. I will end on a positive. Watch out for Shiloh Tracy in this game. He's a Tottenham loanee at Shrewsbury, who's only been given two substitute cameos in the league so far this season, but he bagged a hat-trick in the Pizza Cup on Tuesday night uh, and caught the eye of many fans for his pace. Uh, and some good poachers finishes. So Fally Power have them even money favourites for this Shrewsbury. I dare say their fans will not head into this game with quite as much confidence, but it'll be interesting to see if John Sheridan is in charge by then, how Swindon get on uh, and and how they start to cope with life after Wellens. George, in League Two this weekend, the main division that we're looking at with almost a full slate of fixtures, what's the best game? I'm calling this one the Ali Maxwell Derby because... <laughs> In the in the summer, or this time late summer, when we do our predictions pod, we, we look at all the teams and we put them all in order. 
and we, and we exchange our, our league tables of where we think teams are going to come. And there were two massive outliers in your prediction table and my prediction table. You had Forest Green and Mansfield second and third, and I had them both outside the playoffs, I think even maybe a bit lower. You've been proven very, very right so far with one of your picks. You've been proven very wrong so far with another one, but that could change. And this could be the start of that change. I've picked Forest Green against Mansfield for the game that I am most interested in. And you touched there about, you know, on Richie Wellens and Swindon and why this is going to be an interesting time for them. And and that is the case with Mansfield because they've appointed Nigel Clough as manager. Now, this is, I mean, in my opinion, probably as big a coup as you could really get in, in League Two at the moment. Um, we've seen, obviously, Richie Wellens swap League One for League Two. Um, and that is the same move that Nigel Clough is making. But there are mitigating circumstances around that, given Wellens' relationship with the owners, the, the locality of it. In Nigel Clough, you've got a manager who, by merit, has basically managed in the Championship for most of his managerial career, whose job at Burton was continually brilliant. And we're seeing now, as soon as he's left the club, it's no, you know, it, it, there's a reason why suddenly under Jake Buxton, and this is no slight on him, a club whose budget and, and kind of their natural place in League One is towards the bottom end of finding themselves there is because Nigel Clough had them consistently overperforming. The success that he enjoyed at Burton in the championship maybe clouds the vision somewhat by not understanding that Burton achieving kind of a safe and solid mid-table finish in itself was performing wonders uh, for the last couple of campaigns as well. So for Mansfield to bring Clough in really does represent a sign of intent. Now this is a club who I think signs of intent and Mansfield kind of go hand in hand and, and the way they normally announce that with certain um, fan unveiling videos, including um, the ownership group, have shown a club who are keen to spend their money and make a splash when they do so. But in Clough, it's a bit different. It's a guy who isn't, um, you know, doesn't come with a big fanfare. He's pretty understated as a guy. The football itself can often be more attractive than I think it's given credit for. And he has a, a squad of players here who despite their lowly position down at the bottom of League Two, most of this squad would, would be welcomed into any of the others in League Two. You know, Nicky Maynard playing up front alongside Jordan Barry, uh, George Lapsey and George Maris in midfield, James Perch, a centre-back. You know, th- these are guys who were brought into the club seen as elite League Two players. And now, and, and this, you know, might be tough for Graham Coughlin to hear, but now they've got themselves a League Two elite manager. We might actually see that coming off. It's a very tough early test for them against Forest Green, a Forest Green side who are currently third in the league, who are unbeaten at home, who I think we know are going to be one of the best teams in the division. All the data stacks up to say they are as well. But this is a bad time for Forest Green to play Mansfield. Um, you know, the, the odds themselves have, have Forest Green with Paddy Power. Forest Green are 10 to 11 favourites, Mansfield 11 to 4, the draw 23 to 10. I'm pretty sure if this game was happening a couple of weeks ago, Forest Green would have been a much shorter price. And the respect that Clough brings to the Mansfield side and brings to the club is reflected in that price as well. It's going to be, you know, one of the key stories. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested to see how Wellens gets on at Salford, and that's going to be the headline one. But for me, Clough's impact and what he does at Mansfield, a club who have underachieved now for, for about 18 months since that playoff um, semi-final defeat back in, in 2019. Uh, he's got a big job on his hands. It feels like a bit of a cursed one, but I am excited to see. And I think Mansfield fans should be very, very excited by the man they've got in charge now. Funny you mentioned Richie Wellens. The game I'm looking forward to most in <laughs> League Two is Bolton 
against Salford. This is live on the telly on Friday night and it will be really good for us to get a closer look at both of these sides. Wellens' first league game in charge of Salford. Am I expecting him to have implemented Wellens' ball within just a week or so? No, no, I'm not. But, but, I do remember how quickly his Swindon side that he took over around this period of the season improved fairly swiftly. So I think we can expect that Salford will improve and and a Salford improvement means a challenge for the automatic promotion places. That is now what I assume will happen now that Wellens is in charge of Salford. And it's a strong statement, but this is a manager that we rate very, very highly. And he, you, you really can't argue with saying that he probably has better conditions for success here at Salford than he did at Swindon. And, and maybe that changes the narrative a little bit. Maybe that changes things slightly in terms of expectation and in terms of uh, of the players that you have at your disposal and, and how you talk to them and how you discuss with them what the targets are. But it always felt like the Salford owners, when they sacked Graham Alexander and raised a lot of eyebrows in doing so, would go for, a, for an eye-catching appointment. Someone we said at the time, we thought that they considered to be able to raise the ceiling of the club and and I think with Wellens they certainly have that um the manager of course that won this division last season um and they've plucked him from the division above so it's a big statement from them uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a squad that has a ton of attacking options uh, as we know all, all in, in different shapes and sizes as well you've got target men like Tom Elliott you've got poachers like Ian Henderson and uh, and James Wilson who can do a bit of everything you've got wingers in Hunter and Andrade and Thomas Asante I, I can't wait to see how he sets them up they've also got a very capable and experienced group of players uh, at the base of midfield and also at the back so it, for me I just can't wait to watch a Salford side play under Wellens for the first time, but I'm really intrigued by Bolton as well. They're near the bottom. There's been a lot of coverage about their poor start to the season, a lot of coverage about some of the things that their manager, Ian Everett, has said uh, in the media recently, which has probably not helped a huge amount uh, and it's kind of exacerbated the the on-pitch woes. They've got 10 points from 11 games and they're 20th in the table. Um, on the pitch, I'm trying to work out if it's been as poor as that suggests. It It, it has been bad but I think there is the odd sign that things will improve and I just wonder whether a game with the cameras there might be the time we see a Bolton side under Ian Everett start to put together uh, a, a decent performance a good performance for the full 90. We know that they play a certain style in fact it was Stuart James of The Athletic who basically flagged it up to us in the first place when he wrote his article on Ian Everett's Barrow side last season and um, they've played more short passes than any other team in the division but they've only scored six goals from open play in 11 games, which makes you wonder what they're doing with all that passing. We want to see a bit more incisiveness from them, um, playing just a little bit more riskily, I suppose, and trying to get the ball forward a little quicker, trying to get the the fullbacks high and wide. And I, I hope it clicks for them because I think if it does, then they're going to be a brilliant watch in this division. But so far, they have been a long way off with the exception of Anthony Sarsovic in midfield, who's been absolutely excellent for them. And is probably responsible for half of their 10 points so far this season with, with late goals, especially. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I've just got a sneaky feeling that Bolton are going to turn up uh, and I'm sure that Salford will, will produce a strong performance. So I think it's going to be a, a tighter game maybe than, than the odds suggest. Uh, Salford, the favourites, at 11 to 10, uh, Bolton at 9 to 4, and the draw 23 to 10. Those are our games that we are most excited about ahead of this weekend in the EFL. 
Right then, that's it for this week's Totally Football League show. Extra time, managerial changes, off-field topics and some weekend preview in the can. We hope that this sends you into the weekend with plenty of information and plenty of excitement ahead of the EFL weekend, albeit a reduced slate of fixtures. Do subscribe to this podcast. That will allow you to hear what the guys have to say on Monday on the Totally Football League show. You can follow the show at The Totally Show on Twitter as well for any and all feedback. And we hope that you'll join us again next week, no doubt for an exceptionally busy podcast. This has been the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, sponsored by Paddy Power. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.